Lonely Monk Productions. Yo, That's My John is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, it is festival season. And you know me, I love a festival. And the secret to enjoying a festival is to stay hydrated. Liquid IV has you covered while you prep before, power through to the headliner, and recover after the weekend. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. Man, I love Liquid IV. It comes in a convenient packaging, and it's tasty. When you see me at the Exponential Music Festival this fall, you know that I will have Liquid IV on me. And it comes in 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. All right, strawberry used to be my favorite, but they have this new one. It's strawberry lemonade, and it is a banger. One stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. Liquid IV believes that equitable access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world. So Liquid IV partners with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50-plus countries around the world. Okay, and you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the promo code YTMJ at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using the promo code YTMJ at liquidiv.com. Do it, and let's get our fests on. I don't know if y'all have heard Guilty Pleasures by Mike Gordon yet, but yo. That's my joy. joy. Hey, yo, displace the guilt. What's good, friends and family, neighbors near and far? Welcome to an all-new episode of the Yo, That's My John podcast. The podcast, website, brand, movement, way of life dedicated to the embrace and championing of your passions. I am your host, Nate Runkle, a.k.a. the king of the swingers ball, the John Gold VIP, a.k.a. Nate 3.0, back at it again with yet another episode of the podcast. As always, I hope this podcast finds you all in good health and in good spirits. On today's episode, I am joined by Michael Ralt. We talk about his latest project, Symphony Orchestra, and so much more. And that's coming up in a bit. But first, uh, hey kids, uh, as you may hear, I kind of lost my voice. I played a gig today, and I sang like a dickhead. And now, well... This is what I sound like. So uh, you're going to have to deal with that. But uh, how are we doing? You know, when last I spoke to you, I said I was rolling into some busyness and uh, it might have been a bit more than I was leading on to because, well, you see, I got married. That's right. Katie and I tied the knot, as they say, on May the 4th. Well, why May the 4th, Nate? You know why May the 4th, because we're huge Star Wars nerds. So, in outfit homages to Han and Leia, we drove down to the courthouse and stood before magistrate judge and good friend of ours, Ed Levine, and he locked the legal ball and chain on our ankles and pronounced us man and wife. 
It was so amazing. And my wife, she looked gorgeous. And it was just such a perfect day. So, yeah, I apologize for taking an extra week off, but uh, I'm a married dude now. In other news, I told you all about the Risk performance last episode. Well, that story is set to be released tomorrow, Tuesday, the 23rd of May, on the Risk podcast. How's that for a quick turnaround? I'll be sharing the links on all the socials and whatnot, and you can find it on the Risk website at www.risk-show.com and, you know, wherever you get your podcasts from. So be on the lookouts for that. And as always, hop on over to www.yothatsmyjohn.com if you have not done so yet and sign yourself on up for the mailing list. It's quick and it's easy and it helps me get all the news that's fit to print directly to you. And you know what? While you're there on the website, click that shop link and help yourself to some sweet Yo That's My John merchandise. Do it! And of course, you can always be a pal and follow us on the socials at Yo That's My John. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Post, Mastodon, Spoutable, well, whatever it is. You search Yo That's My John and you follow that John. Whoop, whoop. All right, we're going to take a very short break and then we're going to be back with my guest, Michael Ralt. Y'all, quit being boring just eating dinner and watching TV every night. Next time, pull out a Wongo puzzle and enjoy the conversation and fun that happens when people puzzle together. Wongo is the perfect balance of a good challenge without being so hard that you stop talking to each other and leave your family forever. Trust me, once you try Wongo, you will never go back to a boring old jigsaw puzzle. They are 100% wooden puzzles that will last forever. Each piece is hand-drawn, so no two pieces are the same, and you'll discover some fun, whimsy pieces as you work through it. They come in a custom wooden box, which is perfect for storage and gifting. And they have so many cool designs like African elephant and the wild lizard and the sea tortoise. With stunning designs and unique shapes, Wongo puzzles are a cut above the rest. Now, I like doing the snow globe puzzle myself. It was so great to pull out a puzzle and be done in a night and not have it on the table for a week. So what are you waiting for? Go to wongopuzzles.com and pick your puzzle today. And be sure to use the promo code YTMJ to get 10% off your offer. This is the most fun you've had with a puzzle guaranteed or your money back. Go to wongopuzzles.com and use the code YTMJ to get 10% off your order and get puzzling right now. That's wongopuzzles.com. Offer code YTMJ. My guest today is a Canadian-born singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist who last year released his self-titled album and solidified his standing as one of the most talented songwriters in the game. The 10-song LP was a remarkable reimagination of 70s pop perfection. Now, together with Max Turnbull of the Badge Epic Ensemble, he is currently one half of the act Symphony Orchestra. 
Symphony Orchestra's debut album, Radiant Music, was just released earlier this month and is not just a sonic delight, but a tremendous showcase of both of their talents on both sides of the boards. Folks, it is my honor to welcome to the show, Michael Ralt. Ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by the great Michael Ralt. Michael, thank you for joining me on Yo, That's My John. Hey, thanks for having me. So we were just kind of chatting, but like I've been uh, uh, eyeing uh, this interview up for quite some time. I'm super excited to be able to get to pick your brain and uh, and talk to you about your music and stuff like that, man. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we were able to finally arrange it. Yeah. And it, and it's crazy, too, because um, uh, just a week or so ago, a friend of mine sent me, you know, we're always sending music back and forth. And he sends me some album and he goes, oh, you're going to have to check this out. And uh, and I and I put it on. I was like, this is phenomenal. There's a new favorite or whatnot. And uh, today doing my research, going through um, uh, your credits and stuff like that, you play on it. It's a uh, it's that the, the oh, really? uh, yeah, it's the the uh, drug dealer release, which is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which I think is, it's hard on a couple checks on that record yeah so it was just like a happenstance that i was just like oh well then i have something for you because i sent him the symphony orchestra stuff so it was just like oh uh, cool that's awesome right on yeah i'm managing it getting around I'm working on a bunch of different projects all the time so that's good yeah and and it seems like everything you kind of uh have your hand in is kind of just right in my wheelhouse like it's just <laughs> sonic uh, goodness great. well i'm glad to hear it well let's that's jump what I'm shooting in for Oh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, let's jump in the Wayback Machine a little bit. Tell me a little bit about um, where you're from and where you grew up. Um, I'm from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, originally. Uh, I grew up there. Um, got a lot of family there still. Um, st- I'm still an Edmonton Oilers fan who just got eliminated, actually. So, you know, feel the pain with the rest of the people in Edmonton over that one. Um, and then I, um, I guess, fast forwarding to... When I was maybe, I was in my early 20s, maybe 22, I moved to Toronto, lived there for four years. And then I moved to Montreal and lived there for about four years. And um, now where you find me at the this moment is uh, in uh, Landers, California, which is very close to Joshua Tree. Um, and for the last four years, I've kind of split my time between Los Angeles and uh, and Landers or the Joshua Tree area. That's awesome. Um, so when you were like kind of a, a kid or whatnot, what was playing around the house? Like what were your folks listening to? Um, my my family are all musicians, so I was really lucky in that regard. And they had and my dad also um ended up I guess when I was about ten or so, ended up becoming a, a disc jockey on a community radio station called CKUA in Alberta. Um and uh, I guess notably, he started initially. His very first show was called the R and B Review, and it was kind of like all R and B and and um, stuff of that sort from probably the late fifties through to the mid late seventies kind of thing. Sort of all that kind of stuff. So, um, so as a kid, especially at that point in time when I was around ten, there was a ton of old, uh, you know, R and B and soul and stuff like that being played around the house. Um, but, you know, there's tons of different stuff. My mom was more of a, my dad was like played in 60s rock and roll bands and and that sort of era, I guess, influenced him quite a bit. Kind of that was when he was sort of in his, uh, you know, entering into his adulthood and playing music and stuff. And my mom was a little bit more of a child of the 70s. So she liked a lot of the like sort of California 
country rock, soft rock stuff, the Eagles and Linda Ronstadt and stuff like that. My dad was more into the R&B and soul side. And, you know, all that stuff was kind of playing around the house a lot when I was a kid. That's awesome. Were you, did it click with you? Were you, were you into music? Like uh, it seems to be in the blood. Uh, yeah, I was. I mean, there's sort of different phases. I think like as a kid, I think I just naturally appreciated a lot of what they were doing. And I got to see my dad's, uh, both my dad and my mom play either together or with different bands um, a lot as a kid. And I think at a young age, that was just sort of, I don't know, you know, you don't really think about it. I think I enjoyed it, but it was just kind of what life was. And I hadn't had a moment to sort of conceptualize that or like realize that other people didn't have that or, or, uh, you know, even think about like what that meant or what I thought about it. Um, and, and then by the time I was in my teen years, I think I was really drawn to other young people playing music. And so I got more into like punk and sort of the local punk scene in Edmonton and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, even if the bands, I mean, some of the bands were pretty good, but, you know, sometimes I'd be going to local community hall shows or whatever and seeing some band that was actually pretty terrible. And even at the time knowing that they're terrible, but still being extremely excited, just that it was like sort of felt like very much like what my family had done, but being done by people closer to my age. And so it sort of seemed really more accessible to me. And, and at that point in time, I got more into punk and sort of was a little bit more closed minded towards what my family had been doing around me my whole life. And I went through a slightly rebellious phase, um, although basically supported by my family and, and not like on bad terms with them. But um, ultimately, I would say that um, I started through punk and through getting into that stuff slowly started to like realize its roots in old school rock and roll and 60s garage and psych and you know the influence of soul and country and blues and all these different things and and slowly started to realize like oh it's all basically all the same thing and my family's been into this my whole life and i'm now apparently just into the same stuff that my family's always been into so, so uh that's kind of that was kind of my progression as a young kid in terms of figuring out what i thought about music yeah, it's funny how it always uh, kind of comes back that way, doesn't it? Like my dad, my my dad's favorite album um, was uh, Nielsen Schmielsen. And like, you know, cool. as a kid, like I never rejected it, but it just wasn't like my thing. And then, uh, you know, yeah. same thing, fast forward like 20 years and it's like the most important album of my <laughs> my life, you know, like it just. Yeah, yeah. I remember but, like, I remember like when my dad was doing the, re the R&B review that the I remember like my mom and my sister were much more open to it because my sister was too young to really like be outwardly rebellious. And my mom was, was obviously just not a teenager who was trying to be cool. So, but I remember like occasionally hearing some piece of like rock and roll. Like I remember the song called Justine by Don and Dewey, which is like very aggressive 1950s rock and roll. And they're like screaming their fucking heads off and uh, backed up by little Richard's backing band, the exciters, I believe is what they're called. Um, I remember like hearing that and even at that age being like, well, I can't really argue with that. That sounds like extremely aggressive rock and roll. But most of the stuff they're listening to wasn't scratching the aggressive itch that I needed at like 15. But slowly I came around. Yeah. Well, um, so, you, you know, you play uh, a crap ton of instruments. Was guitar your uh, your first entry point or? Yeah, my dad's a guitar player. Um, so I had guitars around me my whole life. Um, I remember trying to learn it from a young age, from really young, and feeling like it was somewhat overwhelming and couldn't figure it out. But by the time I was about, I don't know, in my early 
you know, tens, like 11 or 12 or something like that. I started to, uh, started to, uh, get shown a few things by my dad here and there. And then kind of, it was kind of a mix of being taught by him and then sort of being self-taught, but sort of slowly figuring that out and, and getting really deeply into it. Um, but yeah, my family, we never owned a drum kit or anything like that. So, and we, and we didn't really ever own any pianos either. I mean, maybe the occasional sort of like crappy key keyboard, I guess we did have a few of those around, but I was never particularly drawn to them. We never had anything overly exciting or fancy, like an uh, acoustic piano or something that I might've been more excited about. So all the other instruments had to kind of come later on in life, but guitar was always around and there was somebody luckily who was there and my dad that could uh, show me how to make it work too. So I was, that was my, where I jumped into music. Yeah. Were you, um, were you immediately like, uh, writing songs on your own, uh, when you started playing? Cause like I started writing before I could even play the songs that I was kind of coming up with in my head and stuff like that. And <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I think that kind of was that kind of yeah. I think I always had um and my dad was also you know, my dad's also a songwriter too, so I think his it, you know, even though he wasn't really teaching me to write songs necessarily, um, I think maybe there's a certain like intrinsic way that somebody who writes music plays an instrument, but like his approach to it and his connection to it was very creative. So it wasn't like um, you know, for good and for bad, it wasn't like being taught my my dad wasn't somebody who was like a a university trained guitarist he's a very advanced guitarist because he played so much but like so his approach wasn't sit down and learn this scale to this metronome and just do it like this and it but so i think it carried with it maybe a slight influence towards the more creative side the way that he thought about it and talked about it and did it and um I don't know whether it was through his influence or not. I did immediately realize that it was like, I think initially almost like as a, just as a way to like goof around a way, you know, just like be like, Oh, I could throw some chords together and then say some stuff over top of it. And that kind of be somewhat at first sort of humorous. And then as time went on, I started to actually, I guess, and I started to play in bands and then I started to realize that I wanted to have more and more material that I'd written for the projects and that they didn't really, the projects didn't seem to like move forward uh in a meaningful way unless i was writing for them consistently and so somewhere in my mid-teen years i started to write more seriously but yeah i started writing uh at least for my own just sort of like entertainment in a fun way from yeah right around the same time i started playing guitar have you um so here's a, a weird question and it only comes up because i just kind of did it uh two or three days ago but have you revisited any of those very early songs because i just went back and uh found like a binder of lyrics and stuff and i started playing like two or three that i had written when i was like maybe 14 or 15 and i was like i don't know this is kind of a banger and i feel like not knowing music this works so much better than i now know music you know <laughs> I ha I mean, I have some recordings around from my very, from my sort of first bands when I was like 15 or 16 that I started to actually try to record and I'd put out sort of independent releases with those bands and played shows and stuff. I have that stuff somewhere, although I don't listen to it that often and I, I, I haven't listened to it in years maybe, but I'm sure that there's a copy somewhere on some computer or in some drawer somewhere. Um as far as the really, really early stuff goes, it didn't all get recorded. I know that there's like, for a while I had my dad's, um, like my dad had bought like a cassette four track in maybe the early 80s or late 70s or something like that. I think it was a Tascam maybe if I remember correctly. And I had that. It was at, at this time when I was like 14 or 13, there was no cool factor around like a cassette 
recorder nowadays everyone hears that and they're like oh wow so cool but like literally no one thought that was cool at that time it was like i couldn't have couldn't afford a digital recorder or a computer so i was like recording on this cassette recorder that could only record four tracks and like at that time that carried no special value but i had that and also another thing that had no special value was my dad's um rx5 i think um which is a drum machine from the 80s and and so there's somewhere there may be a record some of the very very early bedroom recordings that I did it like maybe 14 even before I was like actually putting out I mean slightly more legitimate attempts and and actually release things in my mid teen years but um, I don't know where those are and as far as earlier lyrics and binders go like I don't know where those are either so yeah. they might exist somewhere it might be somewhere at my mom's house or something maybe or maybe somewhere at my dad's but yeah I'm not sure. Yeah, I thought about I had this um, idea of just throwing it up on like just doing like uh, some basement recording of like four of the songs and throwing them up on Bandcamp just to satisfy that that teen version of me from however many years ago. <laughs> that could be cool. I mean, I, I feel like, yeah, it's kind of like the Beatles doing one after 909 or whatever that song is called, the one that they do on um on let it be. be yeah that's fun to fun to reach back into the very very old material i don't know who knows maybe something from my past will eventually be like that i've definitely i've kind of resisted ever going back to record old things because i'm already every recording that i've made from the time i was you know 14 till now i've always been relatively obsessive and it is a wormhole that i will lose myself in and if i start letting myself want to re-record old stuff i could easily just spend my entire life reworking the same songs over and over again so i've always avoided it but i think you know in occasional moments that can be a fun creative thing to do yeah sure um so so when did you kind of realize okay this is it um let's do it uh, this is, this is what I want to do with the rest of the life or, or, or did that come gradually? Uh, I, I think it came pretty fast for me. Like, I feel like my interest in guitar grew extremely and, and music grew very quickly from the time that I started to learn it. And by the time I started to play, and, uh, by the time I was like, I, I guess, so, I guess I was starting to play guitar at 11 or 12. And by the time I was 14, I was like, I'd say I was by 14, I was starting to try to put together groups of people to jam and to start bands with. And then by 15, I was probably playing shows. I think a couple first early incarnate, like there was like a year there of starting things and then everybody not really being that interested in quitting and stuff. But that was, I'd say by the time I was like 14, at least maybe earlier, I was kind of basically like looking at uh, the next, what, however many years that would have been like, you know, four years of four or five years of school that were left ahead of me and, and and looking at the frustrations of trying to find people who are interested in actually working on a band and working on music and stuff and and basically being pretty clear that i was like i just want to like start a band start making records right now basically figure out a way to get out of high school as soon as possible or and then do this um so yeah i mean from that point certainly by the time i was 14 i was basically just dead set on on doing this um for whatever reason, I'm not sure why I was why I was so certain, but uh, but that was it just seemed clear to me. Yeah, it was a good choice. Uh, the uh, how how much of that um, kind of frustration trying to find the people to who wanted it as much as you did? How much of that do you think influenced uh, the amount that you do by yourself or or have done by yourself, um, writing and recording? Yeah, I mean a lot, a lot of it. That I mean that was like. Very, I, the very first bands I started in when I was like 14 or, or 15 um, 
were bands like proper bands where we were all equal members and everybody was well i mean you know well not even at the beginning i'd say not everybody was contributing equally i was at least i was at least one of the top two like creative contributors to the project all the time if not the top one in general is because i was already quite obsessively thinking about this a lot um but quickly after a couple of those bands broke up or as there was started to be you know creative disputes that kind of held up the progress of the project pretty quickly thereafter by the time i was like in my later half of my 15th year on this planet i started to uh i i started a band that was uh like basically my name similar to it was like michael ralt and the mixed signals was actually what it was called specifically um but that was like and then very i guess within, within a couple of years i dropped any other name besides just my name um but both of those you know the beginning of that even at such a young age i actually didn't really want to do that at all i i prefer you know i preferred the idea of the dream of like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and stuff like that was still very strong in my mind. Uh, and I would have preferred to have found a group of people who were just down to make this happen together and to be in a band and like to have the camaraderie and a, and a crew and stuff like that. But it pretty quickly became clear to me that I was like, just not going to have that from most people and that it was very frustrating and slow going to like start a band and then have everybody be like, I don't want to do this anymore and get annoyed with each other and then have to like start another band. And even though these are like small stakes, still start to build up a little bit of a name playing the clubs that were available to us to put like in Edmonton or whatever. And uh, once everybody decided that they didn't want to do it anymore, if it wasn't my name and my project and it didn't really matter if I changed out members, then it was like, I had to start over again with a new name and like develop a bit of a draw and like get people into the project. So yeah, uh, very early on, it started to be kind of like, well, I guess if I just do this mostly by myself, sometimes collaborate with people, but have it based around my name where like, I'm the only essential member that has to be there that uh, pretty quickly you know, became the strategy as the only way that I could kind of continually keep moving forward. And I mean, that's kind of proven to be true many times over, over the past, like, you know, uh, 20 years or so. Yeah. It's, it's great that you, uh, that you mentioned the mixed signals. Cause I just found out recently and I just saw that there's a uh, live clips on YouTube of the mixed signals. And I, I watched some yeah, of that yeah. today, some good stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. <laughs> it, it's interesting stuff. I mean, Mac DeMarco is in some of those videos, actually, which is funny. He was in that band with us for a while. And when we, he was extremely young, he's a little younger than me. And I was extremely young. Um, but yeah, there's some funny, funny videos of us. I think mostly taken by, I think most of the videos that survived, survived from a particular era when one of our drummers dads really loved to to videotape us and put it up so that's how it's managed to stay on the internet all this time is on his dad's youtube channel or something it's awesome yeah the internet likes to uh to keep things doesn't it <laughs> it likes to uh... yeah it is, it's it, it's interesting yeah i mean i guess it's starting to i mean there's so much stuff on the internet more and more that it's like these things kind of get buried deeper and deeper at one point it seemed almost kind of like crazy because it was like i was like you know, bands in the old days didn't have to deal with like all the random videos and recordings that were on the internet that they couldn't get off anymore. Like, you know, once they, most bands in the old days, once they signed to a major label deal or whatever, that was like, that's the beginning of their career. Very clearly. It was the first time that anything they recorded was released in any sort of major way. But it is kind of funny as time goes on, all these old things are just deeper and deeper and the endless amount of things on the internet. So it's, it, it can kind of become obscure enough that it isn't really a huge focus. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, when did kind of the uh, um, desire to kind of sonically craft your songwriting um, in, in the studio, you know, particular um, more so than just cause like, you know, that early, that early stuff does still have kind of that garage rock kind of sound. But then at some point it's like something exploded in, in, in your creativity. And it was just like, Oh, I can, I can make this um, sound as spatial as possible. Yeah. I mean, I think that the desire is probably just always there. I think it's just, there's a lot of there's a lot of skills that have to be honed to figure out how to make a record like that. You know, I think, you know, from a very young age, I was listening to, you know, things like Pet Sounds and 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 then also just increasingly a further and further range of different uh, musical styles and projects and and albums that achieved, you know greatness in different ways and, and intricate uh, uh, intricacies in different ways and stuff like that, that uh, to a degree that I couldn't do at all. Um, you know, I was a pretty quick study for playing particular certain styles of guitar, like rock and roll and blues kind of based guitar and stuff from a, from a young age. But, and I figured out a lot about writing songs in sort of relatively, I don't know, I guess like traditional sort of basic structures uh, relatively quickly, but trying to figure out, you know, both sonically how to make a record um, that that could capture the sort of intricacies that you're talking about and also how to write a song that could have, you know, different, could evoke all the different sort of uh, feelings and stuff that can be evoked by the sort of key changes and complex harmony and stuff that a, a band like the Beach Boys or any number of bands, but that was one of the first bands that I knew of that had that kind of stuff going on. And, you know, it just took years of, trying to figure out a many, many different skills from the composition to the playing, to the arrangement, to the singing, to the recording. And uh, yeah, so it, it, so I think the desire was there. Just it takes, it takes a lot of time to figure out how to do it. I'm still learning it and still, you know, um, pushed forward by my dissatisfaction with certain things, but it's more and more uh, satisfying and more and more uh close to what I had envisioned in my brain. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's, it's such a, a, a weird thing because I, I feel like for so long, um, I kind of rejected seventies, the seventies era of recording, um, not because of any kind of dislike, but because like, um, I lived in that in that world of like there's too much going on and I was like I, I had like a real strong like kind of minimalist period where I was just like they're doing too much whereas now like I'm like I go back and I, I look at some of the stuff that like I kind of rejected like uh, like ELO and, and stuff like that and I'm just like my god like just the craftsmanship uh, and like just the skill to be able to kind of create you know three-dimensionally the this sound that just kind of evokes you know such amazing feeling and and it's one of the things that really draws me to your music is because like i you don't find that much anymore especially with like digital recording and stuff like that which you would think with people having access to 50 million tracks that it would be more you know you'd find it more frequently but like it it seems like we've kind of lost the kind of art of creating music um beyond just these the basic song structure you know yeah i mean 
I kind of know what you mean. It's hard to say why that is. You know, I mean, I guess there's always people who are making really interesting stuff in every era, I think. Um, and I'm more and more with the internet, it seems like basically everything is existing at the same time simultaneously. Um, it's funny, like, I've also kind of gone through a similar thing, I think, to what you're describing in terms of there was a phase in my teen years where I was really drawn to, like, minimalist garage rock and old rock and roll and old R&B and um, even went through a phase and, and punk and a lot of stuff that's just based around very minimal arrangement and very raw recording style. Um, and I, and, and at the time I, I even found like, I remember like the first time I really like concentratedly listened to Abbey road by the Beatles. And I remember thinking it was like too, it sounded like new almost to my ear. Cause they were recording on like eight track instead of bouncing on four tracks or whatever. Like I was like, man, this is like, just sounds like way too like clean and nice and like, and everything. But like, slowly i've progressed to that but i do find myself in sort of an interesting way noticing some band that's doing something that's like very primitive nowadays and seeing kids like it or whatever and then i'm like it's funny it's like it these things just like continually happen some people i've progressed to this point that now i'm listening to extreme you know quite advanced stuff and like really liking the intricacies of uh more dense records or just more sophisticated records like harmonically or compositionally and there's other people I'm sure that are that are listening to stuff that they would not dig that at all. And they would think it was like completely over the top and want to just listen to something really like stripped down and raw. And, you know, and there's probably bands that were around when I was in that phase who were doing more compositionally in-depth stuff that I was probably like, oh, yeah, I don't get it. It seems too weird. Like, I just want to hear some straight rock and roll stuff. So, I mean, just kind of seems like it's all kind of happening. It probably always has all been happening simultaneously, but now the media sources are so uh divided and 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 like and vast that you can kind of just tap into whatever channel you want to now regardless of what the you know there isn't really any sort of central mainstream trend anymore yeah well as long as you can fit it in a 90 second tiktok i, I guess is the uh <laughs> right well i guess that is i guess that is one although that's still, i mean i feel like that's also still just like one one yeah. channel that exists out there right now amongst a million but i mean it is a very popular channel at the moment right no i i, I say it in jest but um but yeah so so you know so so you're you know you you kind of uh kind of compartmentalize and and become like this solo you know bringing in session musicians and stuff like that but then um you you meet uh your your current partner and and girlfriend pearl charles and you kind of start doing yeah. some collaboration like um was that like awakening kind of that what you were looking for in the uh in the desire to find the beetle you know your own the beatles and stuff like that like <laughs> yeah i mean maybe it's got i mean it's definitely a slightly different thing between the uh the young rock and roll band uh male bonding beatles thing and the and the starting you know making a partnership with your like with your uh partner um it's a little different but at the same time it is uh, that has been uh this that re this relationship has been the most dedicated uh partnership i've had both like romantically and also musically both of us are I, I think that was a huge part of what we both saw in each other when we met each other was two people who were extremely dedicated to doing music in a serious way for a very long period of time before we even knew each other and then have both carried that forward for the last um like almost four years i guess now um 
but yeah, that's that, and that, that has been really, like really helpful. Uh, it is much easier to try to do all this stuff with at least one other person who is, um, understands it and is also interested in pushing, you know, working with music forward as much as possible. Um, so yeah, it has been, it's been a, a blessing to have somebody else working on it as well with me. Yeah. Um, do, do you think like, uh, do you think something like, you know, just kind of jumping towards where we are now, do you think like something like symphony orchestra would have happened if, if that wouldn't have kind of opened up your, uh, collaboration kind of? Well, symphony orchestra actually that uh, symphony orchestra actually was kind of the precursor to me and Pearl's relationship oh. musically. Um, I actually was finishing the last, like we were recording in 2000, late 2018, early 2019 for like the initial, initial symphony orchestra tracks. So it was like right after I'd finished touring for um, the It's a New Day Tonight record, um, my two records ago, my solo stuff. And uh, yeah, my, my friend Max uh, Turnbull, who we did that symphony orchestra record with, uh, me and him are our symphony orchestra. He kind of just started coming over to my house and, and, pushing me to sort of collaborate with them on some stuff. Not, you know, not like pushing me overly forcefully, but I, I, before that time had been very um, guarded about working on music around other people. I didn't really like co-writing at all at a younger age. I think partially because I had had some music industry um, success to some degree, or at least like, you know, met people who were in the music industry who were like, Oh, you're a good songwriter. You should co-write with somebody. And then I just get thrown into some situation that I felt was like, had no chemistry and I didn't know the person at all. And I was young and I didn't really a hundred percent know how to just like make a song as on command as I can now. Um, so I kind of felt like a little shy and embarrassed in those situations. And so I had kind of just developed like completely no collaboration approach to writing. I just wanted to kind of be alone and figure out what I wanted to do. But Max and me, that was an interesting thing where I kind of realized when we were doing those initial symphony orchestra sessions, he kind of put me on the spot a couple of times where he'd have an initial idea and I'd be arranging it with him um, and making up parts and stuff on his idea. And then he'd kind of be like, okay, well, we need a, we need a bridge or something. And, I, and then I would actually kind of felt a bit of that initial uh, shyness or apprehension that I'd felt before with co-writing, but then I kind of went into it and I, it was kind of a moment of like realizing that like, Oh, I've been doing this for a long time now. I can actually pretty much just write something on command when I need to, regardless of who's around or whatever. Um, and so that was a huge step into towards being more open to collaborating more. And then as it so happened, me and Pearl actually basically connected like over like one of the weeks that Max was in Montreal with me. Uh, he was living in Toronto when we were doing those initial sessions. The last one that we did of the initial symphony orchestra sessions before we kind of revived it in the last, in like last year. Um, but one of those first, the last of the first sessions in 2019 was like the same week that me and Pearl started to kind of come into each other's orbit. Um, and so by the time I moved down here, Symphony Orchestra was kind of on the shelf for a while until we resurfaced it recently. Um, and coming into me and Pearl's relationship, I was had luckily had that experience of being a little bit more used to collaborating. And Pearl is also an extremely um collaborative artist she's always been drawn to co-writing and sort of more input from more people and so luckily i was able to come in and sort of be like oh yeah i've done this a few times now and so then it kind of became a seamless transition into 
us doing a lot more co-writing together and a lot more collaboration. Ah, that's that's awesome. Like it, it, it's 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 cool how that kind of bookends. Like it kind of creates that little sandwich in that time there. Yeah, it is. It's interesting, and and in the time between, you know, I was just kind of down here, fully immersed in the world that me and Pearl were building together and playing in her band and on her sessions and doing my records and stuff. And then, uh, and that time Max had twins with his, uh, wife who is Meg Remy, who has a band called us girls, um, as well. And they had twins kind of during the COVID break time. I think it was like the first time that they'd had enough of a break from musical projects and touring and stuff that they ended up diving into parenthood and having uh and they ended up having twins. So they got twice what they were initially expecting most likely. But, um, so yeah. And then by the time COVID had kind of thawed a little bit and we were kind of starting to figure out what we wanted to do next. And they were kind of getting more comfortable in, in the parenthood phase and stuff. And I was kind of starting to get a little bit more settled down here after kind of running around like crazy, trying to figure out how to live in California. And then we, uh, did a couple more tracks and finished up the symphony orchestra thing. And, and that's how that all kind of came to be finished. It's killer, man, because like, you know, that like you guys all came out of the pandemic, like just firing on all cylinders and like, you know, so like magic, uh, magic mirror, then your solo album. And then, you know, the, the U S girls album and the symphony orchestra, like everything is just like coming out and like, just it, it's such, it's so exciting to me as someone who is a fan of all of your music, um, because, you can just sense like the growth and kind of like you can see like kind of strands of where it can go. And that excites me for like every new thing. So like when, when you started posting about, you know, releasing the symphony orchestra stuff and I first heard it, like I immediately ordered the vinyl because like, it's just something that I want to hear analog. Like I just want to put it on my good speakers and I just want to sit and just kind of bathe in that sound because like when, when radiant music just kicks in, I like, I was immediately just like, holy shit, here we are. Like, this is this is what we're growing to. So it's really fascinating to me to hear that it kind of started pre all of that. <laughs> like that. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's been an interesting it's been an interesting theme. There's like a certain theme to the last, I guess, basically like starting in early 2019, the very tail end of 2018, which the symphony orchestra writing sessions uh, and demo and which became basically the recording sessions because the demos ended up becoming the record. Um, so that process was kind of the very beginning of this sort of phase. And COVID is like the biggest, you know, the biggest landmark in the middle of it. And it had, and, you know, it, it was like, you know, obviously a momentous and, and huge thing that left a lasting impression on everybody who was live on the planet throughout that period of time. Um, but it's kind of interesting because it's only really one of a, a bunch of things that have kind of led in a certain direction and just in terms of how my life was going. And I kind of think it's sort of has something in common with Max's life probably and Pearl's life certainly and stuff. It, it's like, um, it's been kind of an interesting thing. It's like moving into doing stuff kind of outside of the box, like a little bit, um, not that I've ever really been exactly like part of the mainstream music industry, but I kind of think something about like the end of the touring cycle for it's a new day tonight kind of like opened up this mindset of wanting to do more experimentation and trying new things and kind of getting off of the beaten path. And the symphony orchestra thing was kind of just a project that sort of 
was characterized by not really knowing what we were doing and there wasn't really like a clear goal or uh or like you know i think like to some degree my career you know whatever like like my music making experience has been was characterized for a while by like having record contracts and knowing like okay i need to do this record by you know a relatively reasonable amount of time and then i'm going to release it and then i'm going to tour it and i'm going to put out another record but like um the symphony orchestra thing was kind of a detour into just being like i don't even know what we're doing i have no idea we're, like we have no idea what songs we're going to record until we're in the room and we make it up and we record it and um then coming down here and covid kind of reinforce that because there was no touring we didn't know if like you know everybody didn't know what was going to happen next in any way um and certainly we didn't know if we were like ever going to tour again or put out, out records or do anything it was kind of like well who knows maybe that was fun while it lasted maybe we won't do that anymore um which then really opened up an interesting sort of feeling of like kind of after we once we started to like venture out and kind of just hang out a little bit with like, you know, small trusted groups of people and stuff, then we started rehearsing more with the people who were in the band in Pearl's band at that time, which then sort of led towards them becoming my band for a while as well. Um, and just, and, but we kind of just would like, as like, I had this rec, I had my self-titled record kind of mostly finished as I was finishing it throughout COVID as things sort of started to like loosen up again a bit, but I had the songs. And so I'd sort of like, get together with some people and jam those songs. And then we get together and jam some covers and then we get together and jam some Pearl stuff and just kind of like playing music for the fun of playing music, I guess, which symphony orchestra also was kind of, uh, you know, based around. So then it's, you know, I guess basically, and that's kind of led to like building more and more of a recording studio out here in this house in the desert and kind of just like, uh, it's like, it's still a professional pursuit, but it's more and more sort of outside of the box of a more conventional way of pursuing it. And also kind of more and more like a creativity first thing rather than, uh, I mean, creativity has always been maybe first, but even the sort of like business careerist mindset sort of starts to fall by the wayside and it starts to be about making music and just figuring out how to survive while you make music. Um, and, Cause we're definitely all the types of people that want to pour the majority of our time into making music um and we try to figure out how to make that make sense and so now it's just you know recording tons of projects at the studio for other people that i'm producing and playing instruments on working on pearls records working on my records working on symphony orchestra things in and that will probably expand further and and further as time goes on but yeah that was a long-winded explanation for how it's been an interesting sort of a expansion period based around sort of limitate like limitations kind of forced it but it has created a much more expansive approach than what was existed what, what was existing before yeah i you know I, I i talk a lot about it on on here a lot but um like covid really did this weird thing where it kind of made me and i feel like it made a lot of people kind of re um, reframe their relationship with with playing music and listening to music and stuff like that because like yeah you know there was a time I thought it was all gone I really did like I was just like oh I guess I just don't play shows anymore unless I'm in my basement yeah. on a live stream or something you know <laughs> like it was yeah no totally and so like you know it it's made me like kind of take a look at it and go do I love this? And I, I, you know, and it made me realize I do, you know, it was almost like a break. Like we were on a break and I realized this is the one, the one for me, you know, that kind of thing. 
Yeah, no, totally. And it definitely, but those kind of breaks definitely allow you, and I guess this is probably happening um, probably across the board in society really at this point in time now that we're coming back from, like everyone took a break from everything, which is kind of a crazy thing to happen. And it hadn't happened previously for, you know, hundreds of years, maybe in our society. There hadn't been a moment that everyone was like, stop doing everything. And then after stopping doing everything for a little while, uh, I think we're still going through the process of it collectively, but um, and individually. But you start to reevaluate once you've actually had a break, and you're not just in the habit of just doing things habitually. Come back, and you're like, "What do I actually like about what I was doing, and what do I not like about what I was doing?" And um, it's been interesting. I think I've found, I think I've learned a lot about what I like and what I don't like about what I was doing already with music, and now that's informed. Uh, informed the new approach and it continues to you know I think it's still in a in a process of evolution of like coming back to it with uh fresher with a fresher perspective it's 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 incredible um are you are you guys looking to um play shows um symphony orchestra based or or I don't know you know we haven't really discussed it um it could be something that could happen. I've kicked it around privately. I should say, I guess I should tell Max this. At times I've thought like, oh, we could do something if we wanted to at some point where like Max could easily come to LA and rehearse with my band if we and we could get the band in, in you know, in order on the stuff and we could play a show here or in California. And we could probably do the same thing with his band. He's got a great project called Badge Epoch Ensemble or badge epic ensemble is how you're supposed to say it although it's spelled weird but um but he's got this great band really great players um i've done sessions for his band as a backing musician with him and also collaborated with a lot of those players when i was in toronto um so we could i could easily fall in with them too and we could do a show we could do shows like that so it's something to keep in mind but you know it's also kind of the beauty of having a side project is just like it isn't there isn't as much like tied to it it's like if we ended up doing symphony orchestra shows i think it would be a special occasion and a special occurrence where maybe if people have caught on to the record maybe some people would actually come out and be like wow they're playing a show and it would really be like a you know a special moment hopefully for everybody it would definitely be for us because i don't know how many times that stuff will ever be played live um if ever but if it happens it would be it'd be cool but it would be definitely just sort of a it'd be probably a one-off or maybe it'll happen a few times, but it probably won't happen that many times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you, um, have been, you know, touring and obviously doing a, a lot of shows, uh, with Pearl where you guys are kind of, you know, doing, playing in each other's stuff. Is it, is it a yeah, challenge yeah. to kind of play the entire night, uh, like that or, uh, no, it's great. I mean, I think it's better. Because, uh, I mean, it is, I, I guess there's like maybe some element of exhaustion that can come with it to some degree, but it's kind of, I mean, first of all, like when you're like touring with another band that isn't all the same members, so like if we're in touring with Pearl's band with another, with another entirely different group, or with my band with an entirely different group, um, especially if you're opening, you have to like set up on a short amount of time play the show and then you have to get everything off the fucking stage like immediately. And sometimes in certain venues with not the nicest staff and stuff, they're like immediately on your ass, just like, yeah, I've got up and you're like, get it out of the, like, you know, get out of the venue right now before you even sell merch kind of thing that happens sometimes. Uh, and certainly even if it's not, not that extreme about getting it out of the venue, there are, this is a lot of running around to get the gear on the stage and off the stage as soon as you're done playing. Um, so it's nice to like, when we're doing the double band thing, 
um, we pretty much get to come in. We get two sound checks worth of time to sound check for the whole, both projects, which are the same setup. So, and then we get to leave the stuff basically on the stage the whole time we're there until the end of the night. And we just get to go up and do one set and then say thanks and we'll be right back. And then we go off and hang out for a little bit and you aren't like running around and you can like go to the merch channel and sell a bit of stuff or have a drink or whatever, and then come back up and do it again. And then you probably get to chill a little bit while you sell stuff until the venue is actually closing and they want you out. But that's like, so that's like in that regard is way less work, a lot less like hurrying up and running around. Um, and the playing part, it's like, it's kind of nice. Like it does. I've said it before that it's like, you know, you end up driving like, anywhere from like three to 12 hours in a day sometimes on tour. And then you play. And if, especially if you're just doing an opening slot with one band, sometimes it's like you drive eight hours to do like a half an hour set. And I've cynically said before that it's like, we're more like professional driving team than we're professional musicians. Cause we spend like an eight hour to 30 minute ratio of like time spent driving versus playing music on a, in a, any given day is like kind of, a pretty brutal ratio as far as the part that's like fun and the part that's not fun. Um, so it makes up for it a little bit to be able to be like, Oh, we did two 45 to an hour sets. That's like, that's getting, that's a little bit better compared to the eight hour drive that day is like to do two hours of music. So, um, so yeah, that whenever we do that, it's, it's really fun. That's cool. I'm I'm still bummed. Uh, uh, you guys were in Philly. I want to say like October, maybe or November of last year. Yeah, yeah. And I had that to miss it. Really, I'm sorry you missed it. That was actually a really a surprisingly extremely fun show. Not to rub salt in the wound. That, yeah, that you thanks. missed it. But that was <laughs> <laughs> it was a show that stuck with me. Just in the sense that um, it, we played New York the night before, and it was a bigger show. And I think we all were a little hungover after that night too. And then we went to the Philly show as smaller venue. And at first it wasn't like super well attended at first. We we're kind of like, ah, oh, whatever. It's just going to be our, like, it's like a weekday, the day after the New York show or whatever. But then it ended up being extremely fun. The people came down. It was, and it was actually one of the more memorable shows of the, of the last couple of years. It comes to mind every once in a while. Again, sorry to, sorry. Hopefully we'll get back though. I mean, it feels like Philly, it'd be fun to come back and play Philly. Cause that was a, that was a really promising gig. Yeah. I know, I know there's like a, you know, uh, WXPN, uh, played a lot of the tracks off of Magic Mirror. Um, so like, I, cool. I know there's definitely like, a uh, a, a base here of people who would, who would love it. Um, so yeah, make that happen again. And hopefully I'll be able to make it this next time. <laughs> I do love Philly in general too. It was just, it was just one of those, the only reason that that show seemed un like not promising was just that it was like, it was like a Wednesday or something, you know, and it yeah. was just kind of felt like it was like, if anybody's like going to come, but it, it worked out well. But I, I've always loved Philly. I've played a bunch of shows in Philly. So I'm sure we'll be back before too long. Okay, good, 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 good to hear. Uh, so what, um, you, you're obviously always working. Um, or you, you got a follow-up to the self-titled uh, coming up? Or? Um, I, I, I mean, I do, but not like in a way that it hasn't really been done yet. Um, I have a lot of little ideas and stuff, and I'm going to dive into that sooner than later. But um Another sort of element of the break of uh, the continuity from the the old world to the new world for me has been kind of taking a slight a slight breather from doing my own stuff. Um, Pearl has a new record that's in the can that's sort of we're just figuring out the release plans. And I ended up actually doing a lot more co-writing and and uh, playing and arrangement and stuff on it than I had on Magic Mirror. Um, in Magic Mirror, I, I came in and ended up playing a bunch of stuff and providing a decent amount of stuff to it, but I 
the writing had kind of already been done by the time I showed up for, I mean, we knew each other for that record. So um, this one was, you know, has been, has kind of taken form since we've moved out into this house in Landers together and stuff. And so um, we didn't record it here, but we continued on with her producer, Louis Pesikov, who actually worked on my latest record and uh, in a partial producer role and, and then produced Magic Mirror as well. Um, but I was more involved just kind of in the writing and the conceptualization of the record. And we collaborated a lot more on that. And I've also been uh, producing a lot of bands just at the studio here um, and playing a lot of instruments and producing that stuff and kind of just getting more into the rhythm of like making records uh, from start to finish on my own, in my own studio and stuff. So um, I think I'm going to probably pretty soon, I think I'll probably jump into making a new record that uh, I might just make with me producing and engineering it here, which, and Symphony Orchestra also kind of has played into that too. I mean, it was kind of a mistake. It was by accident because initially I was just thinking we would just do demos and then maybe go to a proper studio. But um, we weren't even really trying to make a real record with that one. The last, the song Concerto and Unthink the Thinkable, I did the basic tracking at the studio. And so those two are a little bit more indicative of what kind of sounds I can get here and stuff. But um but in overall, though, I'd say that even though with the other stuff, we were kind of just like off the cuff recording it pretty uh, lacking in sort of like any sort of focus on the engineering. Um, people have really liked it and it sounds really cool. And so and I definitely have been doing better and better stuff at the studio. So it's been a, a good period for gaining confidence of moving away from recording at like Daptone and, and you know, really famous high end studios and kind of moving into doing it on my own and. I mean, I've got more and more cool gear and stuff too, but it's a uh, it's cool to know that I can just kind of dive in and make projects on my own and and get good response from them. So uh, that's been uh, that that will probably play into the next record. That's awesome. Do you do you see um, producing uh, as as a lane that could take over uh, more of your time? Like, uh, do you dig that? Well, it has. It has. Uh, I, like, I mean, it really has been kind of my. I mean, besides uh, when I'm not on tour, I've been basically like full-time producing projects here. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think as I, I keep like picking up little bits more gear and learning more stuff and and I'm enjoying it more and more. And I mean, it's always been some, I've always been pretty active on the production side. I've always been very, um, at the very least, very annoying to the producers I've worked with. <laughs> if I wasn't actually contributing production, I was at least driving them insane by being very particular about what I wanted, even if I didn't really know what I wanted. So it's always been something I've been very passion passionate about, but I've just finally sort of taken the time to dive into learning everything that I need to know about doing it. And um, yeah, I mean, the, the production stuff I've been doing has been getting uh, better and better responses from people uh both in the public and people that I, you know, trust and respect in the music scene and stuff. And um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of, I guess I kind of have, you know, taken on the idea of sort of being like kind of in the Todd Rundgren mold as kind of maybe what my, what my life path will look like for a while is kind of splitting my time, going back and forth between working as someone behind the scenes, producing people and, and also making my own records. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll, I think that it'll probably never fully overtake my solo career um, in terms of like, I mean, who knows, maybe something I'm produced for someone else will be more successful or popular than my solo career. Who knows? But um, but I don't think it'll ever completely replace it. But 
Um, it's something that I really like doing though. I mean, I, I think the production side of what I've done and the arrangement side and the instrumentation side of my records is a huge part of what I've been doing all the time anyway. So it's kind of, it's pretty familiar and fun to just have, just to take out the uh, initial part where somebody comes in with, a, with an idea to me and maybe I co-write a little bit with them, but maybe I don't even do any songwriting. And then it's just purely like, well, how can we arrange this and how can we record it and what instruments sound good on it? And like, that's something that I've already been doing for a long time and, and enjoy doing. So um, yeah, it's been cool to do it all. I dig it. You know, uh, Rundgren's from around here and uh, I, yeah, totally. grew, I grew up uh, in the same uh, hometown that John Oates grew up in. So if you ever want to make oh, my, if you ever want to make my war babies, um, I will, uh, we will we'll make that collaboration uh, keep, happen. Keep, yeah. Keep in touch. Let's make it happen. I, I, I know both those, both those projects are, are huge influences on me. So I've, I've got the, got a lot of Philly influence and stuff I've been doing. I dig it. I dig it. All right. At this time, you want to go through my uh, standard jauntlet questionnaire here. I ask this of all of my guests. Uh, it starts with the one hit wonders. Uh, the first one, Billy Joel or Elton John? Who do you prefer? Oh, yeah. I was looking at this one. It was tough. I think I'd have to say Elton John, but it's really close because I do really love Billy Joel. But I'm going to go with Elton John. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, Debbie Harry or Joan Jett? I go Debbie Harry. Okay. All right. Uh, Aretha Franklin or Tina Turner? Also a very tough one, but um, I guess I'd have to go with Aretha. All right. All right. Uh, Nirvana or Pearl Jam? That one's easy. Nirvana. I don't really like Pearl Jam, so that, no. that, one's, that one's easy. Okay. All right. Uh, Janis Joplin or Stevie Nicks? Stevie Nicks. Dig it. Dig it. Uh, I, the... I'd probably have to break up with Pearl if I said otherwise. Pearl's was... such a huge uh <laughs> And I, I, I mean, I think I would have said that anyways, but I, it would be odd for me at this point in time to say Janis Joplin. Yeah, I dig it. I dig it. Uh, the the big cliche one: Beatles or the Stones? I mean, this is a, such an impossible question that I, making the kind of music that I've made, I've had to answer a million times. Um, the automatic answer is just the Beatles, but I mean, on any given day, I might prefer the stones i want to listen to them more and they're an amazing band but obviously the beatles are the beatles so i'll go with them yeah you know what i i, what I think it's it, it's it's almost unfair because there's so much more stones material that like i'll still every once in a while a song will come on and i'll be like i've never heard how have i never heard this like you know and and they're you I know mean, they're just so good and they do have a wider like a longer range of material like as you're saying but they're just so good i mean they're such a different type of band but the beatles just end up getting the automatic response i think for me as be if i have to choose one because they're like they just are the like the innovators of recording arts in a way that the stones kind of were part of that too but they weren't quite the same level of like the inventors of a lot of stuff so i'll just give the beatles the automatic answer but i mean the stones are awesome dig it uh the final one of this section bohemian rhapsody or stairway to heaven also an extremely tough one because i have such a strong affinity for um over the top uh self <laughs> self-indulgent insane operatic uh movement songs with all these crazy parts but i guess if i had to choose i so you know i i was gonna say I, I'll, I'll just go stairway but i love okay. bohemian rhapsody so much as a kid that i almost went that way but i'll go stairway I dig it. I dig it. All right. The last section is the top 10 countdown. As we discussed, John can be whatever you want it to be. Uh, number one, what was your first John? What was the first thing you were obsessed with as a kid? 
Well, I mean, it's actually good that we just talked about this because I would say actually the Wayne's World cassette soundtrack, I loved it. I loved that movie as a kid and it had Bohemian Rhapsody on it and a bunch of classic rock stuff. And I I just, that so yeah, that was maybe my first obsession as far as like a, a record that I owned on cassette, but yeah. That um that cover of Ballroom Blitz that's on there is phenomenal. <laughs> like, well, totally on the movie, and I think I can't remember on the soundtrack they might have the original version of Ballroom Blitz, but maybe they put the cover. I can't even remember, but I did. That song knocked me out. There was just tons of great. There was a mix of sort of '90s hard rock and and classic rock, and I was stoked on it. And yeah, obviously it, it must have somewhat influenced my long haired rocker vibe for the rest of my life. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, number two, what's your current, John? What are you into right now? Again, you know, these questions are so hard to answer definitively, but um, the since we already talked about Hollow Notes, I'd say in the last year, the Hollow Notes, the Silver album that has like, um, what song is it? I think I think it's just called the Silver album. I think because it's just called like Hollow Notes, but that album is has been. Uh, an obsession for the last like year i don't listen to it all the time but every time i listen to it it's some of the best production and sort of weird advanced progressive yacht rock soul music possible it's it's really great record so i'll say that's one of my current current uh obsessions i dig it i uh i i've worked out this version of uh had I known you better then off of abandoned luncheonette um, for the one chance that, cause I, I play a gig uh, in North Wales still. Um, and uh, there's an off chance, the restaurant that I play at occasionally uh, John Oates will show up. So like, oh, cool. I, so I have it in my, in my back just ready for him to walk in one day just to like, be like, do you want to jam with me? Like, do, are we doing this? Like I'll take Daryl's part. You can do your own. It's fine. You know, but I heard he's really nice from what he, I've heard. He's very chill. So he might do it. I met him once and I sold him um, a copy of Speaker Box A Love Below by Outcast, And it was the uh, craziest moment of my life. Oh, cool. We were working at a record store and he came in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the day. Was he, uh, did you get him to buy an Outcast record or did he was he like looking for it specifically? He was literally on his way out the door, stopped, turned around and was like, oh, before I go, um, do you have the new Outcast CD? And I was like, Andre and Big Boy Outcast? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, he's got sounds like he's got good taste through the years, which is which is uh, not always the case with old classic icons. So that's cool. Yeah, he's on that. Um, that I, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, Handsome Boy Modeling School project, but uh, he's on the second one of those um, with a song called okay. um, "Greatest Mistake." I think I'm going to send you a link. It's it's absolutely okay, cool. stellar. Um, number three, like what was your first concert? Um, besides seeing my family play, um. You know, the first, uh, this might not be the absolute first, but one of the first like really big concerts that I remember going to was with um, my, because of my parents being in the music scene, one of my friend's dads was uh, in our, in our neighborhood was a journalist, music journalist in Edmonton. So I just kind of stumbled into him having extra tickets to go see Bowie play at the Rexall or the, I guess it was probably called the Coliseum at that point. That was the old stadium in, in Edmonton that, that they don't use anymore. But um, yeah, so I've got, I think when I was really young, I didn't really understand the significance of it, but I've, throughout my life, as I've gotten more into Bowie, which I'm quite into him now and know quite a lot of his catalog, I've thought back on being like, oh yeah, I went and saw him play live when I was like eight or whatever. So yeah, that was maybe the first really big one that I can 
think of off the top of my head. That's killer. That was my first one. Was uh, 1983, the Serious Moonlight tour, um, and I. Oh, I, really? Crazy. Yeah. So uh, cool synergy. Cool synergy. Uh, number four. What was the last concert you were at? Um, I mean, I just I just played a show on Sunday. <laughs> um, that played at a couple shows this last weekend. I'm trying to think, what is the last thing I went to that I didn't play? I guess I could just say I saw um an old acquaintance friend of mine paul cherry play at the show i played on sunday at the la fair um and it was really great he's awesome that was a so I, I actually sat and watched his set even though i was on the bill i was actually an audience member for his set and i enjoyed it and that might be the the last most recent uh case of me as a spectator at a concert i dig it uh number five what was your favorite concert what was the best show you ever saw um hmm I'd say uh, probably, you know, actually, I guess it's kind of like a tie. I saw I saw Dr. John play in like 2012 or 13 or something like that at the Edmonton Folk Festival. And the cool thing about that, he played it on the side on a side stage. So it was like really close in a small environment uh, where I mean, not it was like a big field, but he was on a short like a low stage and stuff. So that was really great. Um, and um I guess also, you know, I'll go with, they'll change it up and say at the Edmonton Folk Festival on the main stage, I got to see Levon Helm in that brief period when he was, uh, when his voice was back miraculously before the cancer resurfaced and he, you know, reemerged and he died. Um, but so that was really magical too, getting to see him play. And I, that was the bigger stage. And I was kind of off on the side, sort of peeking around those speakers, trying to see him from the dance area. But it was, uh, really magical. I guess those would be two of my all-time best concert experiences. I love it. Uh, which, uh, that just reminded me, the uh, Christmas Must Be Tonight cover uh, made my uh, Christmas right. playlist. Uh, I love that. I love that. That's good oh, stuff. right on. I'm glad to hear it. I mean, he's uh, a band fan, so. Yeah. Oh, God, they're so good. <laughs> they're so good. Like, they just... They're great. The, uh, number six, who have you never seen live that you wish you would have? They can be living or dead. Hmm. Wish I'd seen live that I, um, you know, I guess I could go with, I guess, oh, uh, here, here's an obvious one. I've never seen Paul McCartney, which is kind of crazy. Um, I always find myself just being a little bit too busy slash my money's tied up in buying gear or something. I haven't gone some opportunities that I've had and, um, I regret it sort of, but I know that it won't the opportunity won't always be there, but uh, he's one of my favorite musicians. And so that's a little bit of a glaring oversight on my part, but maybe hopefully I'll get a chance to do it before too long. Yeah, absolutely. Um, did you see the um, Let It Be news that uh, that he and Ringo are playing on Dolly's cover of Let It Be on her rock album that's coming out? Oh, no, I didn't know that. That's cool, though. That's awesome. Yeah, that's absolutely like that. fries my brain that like... Oh, that's what gets that's them back together? Concept. Like, come on. <laughs> uh, number seven, name an unappreciated, John. Name something you wish had uh, some more attention to it. Um, I mean, so much of the stuff, so much stuff I listen to is relatively unappreciated old stuff. Um, I'm terrible at remembering names, though, especially because some of them are things that I just only really like one song from or something, but it's deserves to be known but i i guess um i've actually i've written an article about this once before so it's one of the first things that comes to mind but uh the album love songs by billy nichols is very underappreciated 
it's slowly getting a little bit more appreciated, maybe a bit more uh, in the time since I wrote the article a few years ago, not because of me, but I think it's just, it started to be found out a little bit more, but that's a great album that people know his first album a little bit. And even that's like a, you know, like a record collector, deep head cut, but his second album, Love Songs, like it isn't even a majorly sought after record, I don't think. So it's like, it's a great album that people don't pay enough respect to. I love it. Great answer. Uh, number eight, what's your favorite album? I know that's loaded. Uh, oh, I mean, that's a tough one, obviously. Uh, but it's, um, hmm, it is really, really hard to say. But uh, what is my favorite album right now? Uh, you know, this is probably, this is like totally, probably not true in terms of what my actual favorite album is. But I'd say that an album that's been very influential uh, in the time since I met Pearl and she showed it to me has been um, Ian Matthews' Stealing Home. It's a really great uh, yacht. It's like a yachty sort of folky, weird late seventies, early. I think it might be like nineteen eighty. It was probably recorded in like nineteen seventy nine. It's a great, uh, but it's a great album. Uh, one of it's been something I've gone back to at least certain tracks on it a lot over the last few years. But it's probably not my favorite album. But it's the first thing that comes to mind at this point in time, and that's the best I can do. That works, man. That definitely works. Uh, number nine. Name an artist whose output you'll consume anything they release. Hmm. It is also extremely tough. Um, almost everybody has hits and misses, you know. I mean, who do I, who do I like everything by? I mean, it's funny because like it's like I'm tempted just to say the Beatles because I'm just like, well, whatever. Every one of their albums is great, and you can listen to it. I don't listen to it a ton anymore, so it feels a little bit like a cop out because I'm like, it's not really my like go to jam right now. But it's tough because it's like a lot of the stuff that I like more and more as time goes on is like slightly more outside artists. And sometimes that means that they're not always fun to listen to. <laughs> like It's like I love Zappa, but I don't want to listen to everything he's ever done. You have to listen to a lot of stuff to find stuff you like. And I love Bowie, but same kind of thing. Like I feel like I don't like everything he's ever done. And um, and 10CC is probably one of my absolute favorite bands, but... They also are very weird and occasionally can push things to a point that I just am like, this is like so like challenging as a listener. <laughs> I don't really want to listen to it again. Um, so yeah, I guess the Beatles is probably the only band that I'm like, put on any Beatles song. I probably know all the lyrics and I probably like it in some way. Right on. Um, the 10th and final of the top 10 countdown. What is your favorite John of all time? It can be anything you want it to be. Um. I guess, I mean, you know, maybe I'll just go un... Oh, man, what is my favorite John of all time? You know, I'm just going to... Just because they just got eliminated, I'm just going to say the Edmonton Oilers. I'm a big Edmonton Oilers fan, so they're my favorite John of all time. I've been into it since I was... Been into them as a team since I was seven, and I just went through the heartbreak of having them knocked out in the second round of the playoffs. So I'm just going to shout out the Edmonton Oilers right now. Right on. I feel your pain as a 76ers fan who um, also just got knocked out of their playoffs. Uh, you know, right, I, will, right. I will commiserate with you uh, <laughs> because because the Flyers are garbage and uh, yeah, I can't. I can't. <laughs> they just made some big changes. Maybe they'll come. Maybe they'll bounce back. It's, it's about time. Philly should have a good hockey team. It's, it's I agree. Like, it, you know, it, it doesn't feel right if we're not there. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. No, no. Um, so, uh, Radiant Music Symphony Orchestra is out now. Um, if these cool cats and kittens want to try to track you down on the internet, what's the best way to find you? 
Um, Michael Ralt uh, at on Instagram. I think it's Michael underscore Ralt. Um, I think it's at Michael Ralt with no underscore on Twitter, just to keep you on your toes. Um, and facebook.com slash Michael Ralt and um, on Spotify as well, or streaming services or whatever. I try to keep all the shows up to date on their lists on there and everything. So yeah, there's just, you know, basically the internet. <laughs> if you search my name on the internet, you'll probably figure out what's up with me and uh, be able to figure out if there's a way to come out to a show or uh, pick up a record or something. I love it. Michael, thank you so much for doing this. This is such a joy. And as I said, I, I've been waiting to do this for, for almost two years now. So I'm so glad we finally got to do it. Yeah, I'm glad we did it. Thanks for having me. My thanks again to Michael for joining me on the show today. The Symphony Orchestra's new album, Radiant Music, is out now on all major streaming platforms. And the vinyl can be purchased from their Bandcamp page at symphonyorchestramusic.bandcamp.com. You can also find Michael's self-titled album and his previous releases at michaelralt.bandcamp.com. Be sure to follow him on the socials at Michael underscore Ralt on Instagram and at Michael Ralt on Facebook and Twitter. Links to all of those, as always, will be in the show notes. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the Yo, That's My John podcast wherever you get your podcast from. And troops, it is never too late to get yourself a super awesome John Scout merit badge for citizenship of the world just by rating and reviewing us. Don't forget to visit www.yothatsmyjohn.com for articles, merchandise, and links to all of the previous episodes of this podcast. And guys, while you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to get all of the updates delivered straight into your inbox. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash yo that's my John for updates and live streams. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at yo that's my John and search yo that's my John on YouTube to find the yo that's my John YouTube channel. Like and subscribe the heck out of that ish. We want to hear from you. Reach out, reach out and touch some John. All right, my friends, that's the show for now. I'm going to go rest my voice. But don't you forget to check out my appearance on Risk out tomorrow, wherever you get your Potty Pod podcast from. Heck yeah. Blue skies. Until next time, everybody. Hey, yo, displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure. Your taste in music doesn't have to be... Yo, That's My John is a Lonely Monk production written and produced by yours truly, Nate Runkle. Theme song by Phil Tyler Music featuring Nate 3.0. Special thanks to Fox Run Brands, DX Ferris, Andrew Scott, Natalie Runkle, and the incredibly brilliant and wickedly stunning Katie Daubney. If you or anyone you know has any ideas they would like to share or any guests they would like to hear on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at yo that's my john at gmail.com. Or you can leave an audio message for us and possibly hear yourself on a future episode by visiting anchor.fm slash ytmj slash message. Until next time, be sure to displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure and shout to the world, yo, that's my John. <laughs>